Well, good morning, church. Guess we'll get some lights on in a second. Thank you. This is Scott Tidwell. Uh, Scott Tidwell, I have deemed him our pastor of disaster. He is, uh, he's going to be heading up our disaster relief uh, efforts. I will tell you about that in just a minute. But I'm Scott Weatherford. Welcome today. We're starting a, a great adventure over the next seven weeks. We're going to be talking about who we are and where we're going. Have you ever uh, looked at your spouse and said, where, you're, where are we going? And they say, well, I don't know. Where do you want to go? And many times in church, that's the way we are as a people. We'll say, well, where are we going? They'll look at you. I don't know. Where do you want to go? Well, today, we're not going to ask that question of each other. We're going to ask that question of God, and he's going to tell us clearly. And over the next seven weeks, we're going to talk about who we are and where we're going together as a church. So I don't want you to miss a week of this, to lean in and to invite your friends. This is the first life. I think you've heard me say this, and, and I want you to wrap your mind around this. This life is merely preparation for the next life. If we took a, a cord, a string, or a cable, and we stretched it out through this wall as far as the eye can see and affixed it to a pole there, and then we went out the same way with this wall and fixed a, pole, a, a cable of, uh, of, to the farthest place and it fixed it to a pole way out there as far as we could see, that would represent eternity. And if we took a small little scratch and put it right on the middle of the pole, right in the middle of that cable, that would represent your life. Your life is merely a scratch in eternity. Uh, our brother's experiencing his 97th year. I bet he would say to you that that time went by very quickly, very quickly. And the older you get, the faster time goes. All right, can I get an amen on that one? Yeah, we used to say as slow as Christmas. Now we say as slow as Papa. That's what we say. Because it, time just goes fast, and what's done in this life will echo in eternity. So shouldn't we learn to live all for Jesus in this life? Because we're going to live the next life with Jesus. So that's what we're going to do over the next seven weeks. And so I'm excited about that. And that, that's coupled with a lot of other things, and I'll get to those things in just a bit. Uh, many years ago, I went down into Mexico to encourage a group of pastors. We were working with about... 25 or 30 churches right on the border there in Mexico, helping them to, to build lives and understand what that meant. And I, I remember one morning listening to the children sing, uh, Jesus Loves Me. Si Cristo me ama, si Cristo me ama, si Cristo me ama, la Biblia dice así. And it just hung in the air like a sweet perfume. Just, it just kind of soaked into my soul that no matter the ethnicity or the language, the truth is that Jesus loves me. I, I've stood in, in the, the, just the, the huddled mud huts in Malawi and in the Democratic Republic of Congo and Nigeria and realized that Jesus loves me. I, I preached at a house church in Cambodia on the porch of a guy's house who who didn't have two nickels to rub together, but he had 35 people coming to his porch to hear the truth that Jesus loves me. And I got to preach to them that day, of course, with the translator, and I'm sure it wasn't near as good as their normal pastor. I, I, I've stood in the busy streets of Thailand and, and, and watched the, the huddled masses, some of them being sold for pennies, and remember that Jesus loves me I've stood on the banks of the, of the Mediterranean Sea in, a, in Italia where Paul and Barnabas and 
first, and John Mark first land on their first missionary journey and realized that they were there because Jesus loves me. I've stood on the snow-capped mountains of Alberta to know that Jesus loves me. And now I find myself in the diamond in the heart of the hill country of Texas, Wimberley, and declare to you that Jesus loves me. He loves you. And that love changes me. It has changed me for a very, very, very long time. And it'll keep changing me. It'll keep directing me. It'll keep empowering me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. Listen to this. Jesus doesn't love some future form of you when you get your act together. He loves you right now. In fact, he loves you so much, he's going to help you get your act together. And his love is compelling. His love is powerful. His love is pervasive. And his love is extended to everyone and anyone who believes in his name. And that, to me, is just, well, it's just overwhelming. And it's exciting. And it's soothing. And so, over the next seven weeks, we're going to launch a series, and we're going to talk about how Jesus loves you. And I'm going to give you some words. In fact, they're hanging in the parking lot. I don't know if you saw the banners as, we came, as you came in. We're not quite complete with that look yet. But we're going to talk about how his love causes you to honor him. We're, next week, we're going to talk about uh, worshiping God. What does it mean to really worship God? And some of you think worship is music, but it's far more than that. Far more than that. And we'll talk about that. We're talking about what it means to be connected to God. And there's a phrase I want you to remember. Believe, belong, and become. Because you, when you become a part of a church, you're not joining a country club or getting a membership to Costco. You're becoming a part of a body. And if we took your finger and cut it off and threw it out in the middle of the floor, it would be worth nothing. But that finger attached to a hand, attached to a body, can literally become the hope of the world. And we'll talk about that. And we'll talk about what does it mean to grow to be like Christ. God wants every one of you in this room to become like Jesus. And I hope that scares the pee-willy out of you. You should go, what? That's right. And that is his desire. Now, God's not going to give you anything that he desires that he's not going to empower with you with his spirit to become. He's going to help you. And that, that's, well, he's actually going to do it in you. And then we're going to talk about how God wants you to serve him by serving others. That we quit looking at ourselves and we start looking at opportunities around us. How can I give my life away? What, are the, what kind of shape, the spiritual gift, the heart, the ability, personality, experience has God placed in me that I might be used by God to be a blessing to you and to others? Every member is a minister. And then we're going to talk about sharing the love of God contagiously in word and in deed. Sometimes people have to have something to eat before they can hear the gospel. And, and food without the gospel is reprehensible and the gospel without food, well, is pretty ineffective. And we'll talk about what that means. And then, of course, the last week, we're going to party with purpose. And I'll be talking about that day, uh, how to live a generous life. And now you said, oh, I knew you preacher go talk about money one time. Well, you betcha I am. Do you know Jesus talked about money more than he did about heaven? Because where your heart is, there's where your treasure is. 
And we'll talk about a generous life. And on the 22nd of October, we'll finish our 99 days of prayer, and we're going to party, and we're going to see people baptized, and we're going to eat the fatted something. I don't know what it is. I think we're in the process of collecting possums and armadillos even now for that great day. And so it's going to be a great seven weeks. Are you guys excited about that? Yeah, so it's going to be a, a fun series. And we're going to add little things. And Dan, thank you so much for writing that beautiful song so many years ago uh, that we might be hear it today and be encouraged by that day. Let's, uh, let's thank God for Dan and his talent. So uh, thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. Great song. Dad told me he was going to do that. I was very excited. I wrote a song once for a building campaign called Arise and Build, and it'll never be sung ever again in public. It was wretched. But uh, that was not wretched, so thank you for that. Now, I want to give you some other things I want you to hold on to because this is the new norm here, the new normal here, that every time we have a sermon series, we're going to provide you with extra stuff. Now, the Cajuns call it lanyap, a little something extra, a little something extra. So we'll always have extra things with you. Now, in your bulletin today, there's a couple of extra things there. So go ahead and open that up and look at it. First of all, it's the study notes, so the notes you could take as I'm talking, you jot down notes there. But also, it's take the weekend with you notes. These are scriptures that complement the sermon that I preach on that weekend. Because I want you to be able to read in your personal experience to help you have something that guides you in your reading. And it's tied with the sermons every week. And I provide those for you because I want you to be able to take the weekend with you. Also, we provide with you group material. Now, this group material is so that your group experience, whether it's Sunday school or whether it's uh, a group that meets at a coffee shop or a bookstore or, or wherever, some, uh, some groups may. I have a group of guys that we meet over Zoom, Z-O-O-M. It's an it's a app that it's on our phone that when we pull up, we can see everybody in the room at the same time. You can have up to 20 people on a Zoom call. So uh, I have buddies all over the country and We'll Zoom together, and we'll talk together. It's a group of pastors, and it's a group you'll never want to be a part of because everybody talks and nobody listens because it's pastors. But um, it's, it's a wonderful, a wonderful technology. So there's ways to have groups, and we provide that for you. Now, this group, this group curriculum, we're doing something different this time. Normally, when I produce a video, it's me pontificating for about 30 minutes. Nobody wants to hear me talk on video for 30 minutes. Most of y'all, about minute 10, you're into a great nap. You're already dreaming about things. I, I'm teasing. Uh, if you go to sleep while I'm preaching, I think you trust me, so you just sleep all you want to, all right? But um, that was supposed to be funny. You guys missed it. But, but these videos are only four minutes long, four minutes long. And they're designed so you can watch and then begin a discussion and to begin applying this truth to your life in a group form. So we made it easy for you. Now, Wyatt talked about group in a bag. Now, what in the world is that? Is that we, I'm going to encourage you, many of you need to step out of participating and step into leading. You've been participating a long, long, long time. And we want to encourage you now to step into leading, to find three or four or five people that you know that you can invest in in a group experience. Now, it may not be on this campus. It may be off this campus. It may not be people from this church. That's fine because we think everybody needs to be connected in a group. And so we provide a group and a bag for you. Everything you need to lead a group except for the people 
is in that bag. You have to add the people. It's kind of like hamburger helper for Jesus. <laughs> we got everything you need. You just got to find the burger, all right? So you provide the people, and we'll provide everything else for you. And the guide to do that, and after this service, Tom and Tara and Pat are going to be out in the back. Pat Cone's going to be out in the back, and they're going to help you with group in the bag. And we're not just going to give it to you and say, God bless you, good luck. We're going to walk with you. And we encourage every one of you to, to step up and take that. And we're praying that there'll be 50 groups, not just our Sunday school groups, but other groups. Now, some of you say, well, I'm in a Sunday school class. We ain't going to do that stuff you teach. That's fine. I don't blame you. You do whatever you want to do. I've discovered you don't tell Baptists what they're going to do. They're just going to do what they're going to do. We're going to gently lead you. It's kind of like we're throwing deer corn out on the front drive, and you can come get it if you want it, all right? And I imagine there's a bunch of deer going to come get it. So that's the resources we provide for you. So take the weekend with you, uh, the group in a bag, and, of course, our weekend experiences. And you can, if you, have, if you miss one of these, obviously you can catch it online because we put it online. We have live streaming uh, with uh, Facebook uh, app on, on right now. It's actually going live. You can join us live or you can join us later. And I think, Dan, we have several hundred people who watch First Baptist Wimberley at some time during the week. I think I saw about 600 people who watched it off my Facebook page this past week. So that's pretty exciting. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, so God has given us the great tools of technology that we might find and become what he wants us to be. Now, but the trick about this or the truth about this, it's all about relationships, all about relationships. So this morning, we're going to look at a conversation that Jesus had with a guy named Nicodemus. And I, I love this passage of Scripture because Jesus takes the lid off expectations and he drops in the truth of his unfailing love. And today I want you to walk out of this room realizing that because Jesus loves you, your life has been changed. Now, in your bulletin right now, I want you to pull out that card that says, because Jesus loves me. You pull that out and you hold it and wave it at me so I know that you got it, okay? All right. Now, at the end of this sermon, this is what I want you to do, okay? It's what I want you to do. I want you to write out your answer on that card. I want you to write it out. I want you to put your name on it, okay? It's all anonymous. You write, because Jesus loves me, you write whatever answer that is, and then I'll give you instructions about what to do with it, because we're going to take those cards, and we're going to create a memorial to Jesus, something that we can remember because of his great love. Does that sound exciting? That's Two of you, that's awesome. All right, so I think I better pray now. Let's jump into this conversation. Father, thank you for what you want to say to us this morning, and I pray that you will speak to our hearts and the ways you want to speak, and that we will be forever changed because we've had an encounter with you, an encounter with your love that starts directing our lives. And I thank you for what you're going to say, and I thank you for how faithful you are, and I pray this all in Christ Jesus' strong name, Amen. Now, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to John chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to project the passages up on the screen. Now, some of you realize that I do that a lot, and I don't know if you know this, I'll quote a lot of Scripture, but sometimes I don't give you the text and the verse because I want you to have to dig that out for yourself, all right? But we're going to talk about how Jesus loves us. Now, the first thing I want you to hold on to is this. Jesus loves an encounter. He loves it. If you'll trace Scripture all throughout the Old Testament, God encounters people. And when God encounters people, they walk away changed. 
And Jesus continues that practice. And in this practice in John chapter 3, I love the book of John. I love Johann theology because John was a pastor just like me. He, he pastored a church in Asia Minor. And when he wrote the gospel, he was writing it to his people. He wasn't writing it as a theologian that was distant. He was writing it as a pastor who lived close to people. And when he was writing that, he was writing to prove the deity of Christ. He was writing to his people to show them that Jesus was exactly who Jesus said he was. And if you look at Johann theology, the theology of John, John writes like a pastor. He introduces Jesus. Then in his epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he says, now this is how you live for Jesus. Because Jesus is God, this is how you live all for Jesus. And I, I love that about John. I, do, I think I've told you this. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was in his congregation. How would you like the pressure of preaching to Mary, the mother of Jesus, week in and week out? Mary would correct John's stories about Jesus, I'm sure. We, we won't chase that. Let me read for you John chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus, a religious, a Jewish religious leader who was, now this is very important, who was a Pharisee, who was a Pharisee. Now, you remember there were four distinct political parties or religious persuasions in Israel at that time. There were the Pharisees, and they were very stout, ardent people, and they believed in the mystical side of God, and they built their whole theology around eternal life. And then there was the Sadducees. They were also very legalistic and regimented. They thought they were the elite. They were the Ivy League of their day, and they did not believe in the afterlife, so therefore they were sad, you see. Okay, now you'll remember that, right? And then there were the Zealots, and the Zealots were about insurrection, about overthrow, and their theology was not based on the, the knowledge of God, but in the, in the knowledge of Messiah and overthrowing the Romans. And then finally, there were the Essenes. And the Essenes, they were also mystical. They believed in the preservation of God's word, and they copied Scripture. And they lived away from Jerusalem in seclusion, believed that the apocalypse or the end of time was coming intimately, and they wrote Scripture, and they lived separated, and they lived off it. John the Baptist was an Essene. Now, remember, John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, and he was one of the only two people that the Spirit of God dwelt permanently on before uh, Jesus' uh, resurrection and sending the Holy Spirit. So this is that kind of group. So some people say, I've heard it said that Jesus was greatly influenced by the Essenes. And I, and I, I heard a, a Jewish scholar say that. I went, uh-uh. I said, no, that ain't true. He goes, well, pastor, why do you think that's not true? I said, because Jesus influenced the Essenes. Jesus is not influenced he is the influencer because he's King Jesus. And, of course, that entered into a lively discussion that we won't go in, but I did escape incarceration. Let me read for you. One dark evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Under the cover of darkness, because of his standing, he came to speak to Jesus. Rabbi, he said. And even the language that he used, calling Jesus a rabbi, was radical. He was recognizing he was stepping back in humility and recognizing Jesus as a rabbi, a teacher. We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs, 
are evidence that God is with you. Now, remember, as a Pharisee, he was into the mystical side or the metaphysical side of God, and so he recognized that. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. I love how Jesus just flipped the script here. I tell you the truth. Unless you were born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Oh, what do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back in his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assured you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Humans reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from so, or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. And how are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus just blew his mind. How are these things possible? Now, because Nicodemus lived in a religious world, in a world that was based on what you do and how you appear makes you right. When Jesus encounters him about being bored again, it just, he, he was overwhelmed. This is what he wasn't used to. Now, he, he knew that he wanted to be right with God because he asked this, how can a man have eternal life? And eternal life was central to Nicodemus. It was central to his thought. But he was following the rituals of religion without a relationship with God. Now, I hear people say this, and, and maybe, maybe you've heard me say this, and I owe it to you to explain this. When I say things like, we're not into religion around here, we're into relationship. And that sounds kind of hip and cool. But I want to tell you, there's deep theology there. The root word for religion is ritual. Ritual is something you do in order to be right with God. The relationship is rooted in a personal knowledge. What makes us right with God is not the rituals we keep, but the God who keeps us. We are made right through relationship with God. And that's, a, that's not a ritual. Now, because I have a relationship with God, because he's changed my life, then my behaviors then become like Christ. But it's not religion. It's relationship. Now, I had somebody say to me the other day, so, well, I'm not very religious. And I said, well, I'm not either. In fact, if you are a Baptist... You ain't religious. It's a very, I mean, throughout history, Baptists became Baptists because they weren't religious. They were about a relationship with God. The Reformation was about a relationship, not a ritual. It was a rejecting of the ritual that led to the Reformation. And so we realize in this Protestant movement that we're a part of, in fact, I want to tell you all this, that Baptists are not considered part of Protestantism in the root of who we are. We're so strange that we just kind of do what we want to do. Ask any Baptist preacher. He'll tell you. Baptists do what they want to do. My dad said Baptists are a lot like cats. 
When you hear them fighting, there's going to be more of them. (laughs) But the truth is, we are people of relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with one another. We don't call this structure, it's a church building. It's not the church. We're the church. Have you ever remember when you're a little kid, you say, here's the church and here's the staple, open up and look at all the people. Heresy! <laughs> we are the people of God. We are the church of God. Does that make sense? And some of you, that just doesn't make you feel better. Because this building will not last forever. Just ask the folks down in Referio, they've lost their whole church building. But they have not lost their church. They've not lost their church. You see, Jesus always trumps religion with relationship. And Nicodemus was trying so hard to be right with God. And Jesus says, I love you. I love you. And I want you to stop with the ritual and step in to the relationships. Now, one thing I've noticed about encounters with Jesus, they're often fueled by my hurts and my habits and my hang-ups and my desperation. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Isn't that true? And because I need Christ, he steps into my life, and the encounters with him then are brought about not through some ritual I keep, but a relationship I have. We are the sons. We are the daughters of God. He loves us, and he calls you beloved. You ever heard the passage of Scripture says, we are the apple of God's eye? Have you ever heard that? Do you know what that means? That means when you look into God's eye, you see your reflection. That's the apple of the eye. Do you, ever, you remember the passage said, God, you're the glory and the lifter of my head? You know what that literally means? That God takes your face in his hands and he cups it and he lifts your face up to his face. Wow. I remember one Sunday I was preaching and I said, May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and lift up your countenance and give you peace. I had a guy walk out and said, what you talking about this lift up countenance stuff? Oh, so first of all, it's in Scripture. Hello? <laughs> and second of all, it literally means to have a cupped face and lift it to the face of God. I want God to lift up my countenance, don't you? There are times in my life where my heart is weary and my soul is languished and I need the love of Jesus. And what are those times every hour I need you? I want to tell you in preparation for this series, I know that God is up to something big in Wimberley. He's up to something big in this church. You know why? Because I feel the spiritual oppression greater than I ever have in my 36 years of ministry. And I know that God is moving because that old toothless lion called Satan is after me. But I tell you what, this is the truth. 
He will not get me. He will not eat me. He has no teeth. He may gum me and get slobber on me, and that's as bad as he's going to get because my Jesus trumps his power. Isn't that true? And so we know God is moving and God is working. Now, because I need him, Nicodemus' encounter with Jesus was he was desperate. His life, it wasn't cutting it. And he came to Jesus because he needed something more. And then Jesus said, you got to be born again. Really? I mean, why did he say that? Because Nicodemus was born dead, just like you were. I'm, I'm going I got in trouble. I said this in Canada. I got in trouble. I said, y'all know you're just children of the devil. Oh, you're calling us children of the devil. I said, you are. Until you come to Jesus, you're a child of the devil. And the Canadians are so, so polite. They go, oh, you probably shouldn't tell people they're the child of the devil. I said, I go to the doctor. He tells me the truth. He says, I'm fat. I got to tell you the truth. You're a child of the devil. But you don't have to stay that way. Because Jesus will adopt you, and you must be born again. Born again to really live. You're born dead. And you're dead in your trespasses and sin. But Christ comes along and he says, I want to have you be born again. Every one of my children were conceived in love. Every one of God's children are conceived in love. Because he loves you. He says, I want you to be born again. I want to place my spirit within you that you may have the power to live this life, this first life, with significance and meaning. And then you have the authority to live the next life in the Father's house. I don't know about you, but that's overwhelming to me. Now, Jesus was a... a Excuse me, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And so when Jesus was talking to him about the mystical side of life and of eternal life, Jesus was speaking right to his point of understanding. And this is the amazing thing I found out I found with Christ. Christ always starts where I am. He doesn't start where I should be. He starts where I am. And then he takes me when I respond in faith to him to where he wants me to be. Don't you love the fact that we have a God who meets us where we are? Don't you love that fact? And that love is compelling. See, Jesus really does love you. Now, Satan, well, he loves to do a couple of things. One of the things he loves to do, he loves to take his broadsword of doubt and discouragement and whack you in the head with it. He wants, he wants to, first of all, make you feel insecure, like you're, that you're not saved, and that you're not loved. And for some of you, you're sitting in this room right now, and you say, well, I know Jesus loves everybody, but me, I'm a loser, and I've done things, and I've said things, and I've become things, and obviously Jesus can't love me, and, and that's a lie from Satan. I tell Tara every day, several times a day, I, I say this to her, I'll let you in on a little secret in our marriage. I say, hey, baby, I got a secret for you. And she goes, what? I says, I love you. She goes, that's not a secret. 
everybody knows you love me. But I have to keep telling her, why? Well, first of all, I want to stay out of trouble. Doesn't work very well. Second of all, I want to close the loop between my heart and my head and my heart and my mouth to her to say I love you. Do you know why I tell you guys? Have I told you lately I love you? Because I want you to know that you're loved. And love covers a multitude of sins. Love empowers our lives. And Jesus says, I love you. And he really does. And Satan wants to make you think that God's not good and God doesn't really love you. And he is good and he really does love you. And he's a busy working in your life. Jesus replied, you're a respected Jewish leader, yet you don't understand these things. I assure you and I tell you what we know and what we've seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me, I tell you about earthly things. How can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned but the Son of Man. Jesus said, I've done that. I've gone to heaven, I've returned, and I'm going to go back to heaven, and I will return. And, and, and the Pharisees, all rooted in the mysticism of eternal life, he, he, he was listening intently, and he, then, he, then he does this. He says, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze stake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And you say, why in the world are you talking about Moses? I'll tell you in a second. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so everyone, everyone, everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You see, Jesus' love is not based on who you are or what you know or where you went to school. Jesus doesn't care if you're an Aggie or a Longhorn. Or a, whatever y'all are, roadrunner or something, a bobcat, a bear, a Seminole. He don't care. He loves you. He loves you now. And I love the way Jesus found that common ground with Nicodemus when he brought up Moses. Because the Pharisees believed Moses was the man. And they based everything they did off the teachings of Moses and following the Mosaic law and lived under the Mosaic covenant. And they believed that their theology or their belief was an extension of Moses. And so when Jesus mentioned Moses, Nicodemus perked his head up. He goes, man, this rabbi knows his stuff. You think? That rabbi wrote the book. And, and Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the bronze snake, this was a foreshadowing of what I'm doing, Nicodemus. And I'm sure Nicodemus that day at Calvary, when he stood there and he watched Jesus hanging on the cross, he heard those words, just as Moses lifted up the bronze. Oh. Oh. And now I'm going to go public with the private. I'm going to declare to the whole world that I'm following this crucified Christ because I'm going to offer to bury his body, and everybody's going to know now that I'm following him. Huh. I want to tell you something. If you want to lend a grave to somebody, lend it to Jesus, because he won't use it long. <laughs> Three days done. Jesus burst forth with glory. 
in this pharisaical mind, Jesus found common ground. I'm reading a book right now called The Problem with God. It's a new book by a Canadian pastor, and he grew up an atheist. And he's pulling apart arguments of atheism in a beautiful, academic, scholarly way because Jesus met this man where he was. In his vast intellect, Jesus met him where he was. Lee Strobel, the author of The Case for Christ and The Case for the Resurrection, The Case for Easter, The Case for Christmas, The Case for... He just got a bunch of cases. He's wrote all these books. Lee Strobel was, a, was an atheist when God met him where he was. I was a seven-year-old boy growing up in northwest Florida in the home of Poe and Jane, and Jesus met me where I was. Where were you when Jesus met you? Maybe it's here today. Let's take a deeper look at John 3.16. I have to get finished. For God, it starts with God, begins with God. God knew you before he made you. He rubbed his hands together before creation, realizing that at this time and place, you would be born and you would live and he would encounter you. How do I know that Jesus will encounter you? Because you're in this room today or you're watching online right now. And he encounters you and he steps into your life. And it's not about you, but it is for God. He's so loved. Romans 5, 8, Paul, the great theologian, said God demonstrated his love for us while we were sinners, Christ died. You read the book of Romans and you take the book of Isaiah and you put them parallel and you realize that Paul had the book of Isaiah memorized. And he pulls passages out of Isaiah that were meant for the messianic promise and also meant for the restoration of Israel, and he pulls them out to show them theologically how it applies to us personally. God demonstrated his love for us while you were a sinner. Christ died. Christ died. The world. The world. We used to sing that song, Red, Yellow, Black, and White, We Are Precious in His Sight. It's not politically correct, but it's theologically accurate. Jesus loves everyone. We have to break the curse of European mindset that says that we are better than someone else, and you are not. Our society is not better. Our God is better. Our Christ is king. We don't need to make folks Texans. We need to see them come to Christ. We don't need to make folks Americans. We need to see them come to Christ. And our culture is not better, but our Christ is better. And that God gave in the generosity of God. If you want to be like Jesus, be a generous person. Because God's a great giver. He gave himself. And because he gave himself, it gives me the desire to give myself back to him as an act of worship. That whoever believes in him you can have life by simply believing. Now, believing is not just understanding. Believing is rooted in a word 
a Greek word called gnosos. It's where we get the word Gnosticism from. And gnosos means an intimate intertwining. And the, the um, Old Testament was translated into Greek, and it was called, it was first written in Hebrew, obviously, it was translated in Greek, and it's called the Septuagint. And the Septuagint, word for when Adam uh, knew his wife, and they begat Cain, the word there is gnosos, an intimate intertwining of heart and soul and mind that conceived a child. This is the same word used. God knows you. Gnosos. He knows your past. He knows your present. He knows your future. He knows your hurts, your habits, your hangups. He loves you even though he knows you. I think that's pretty awesome. Tara, my wife, knows me. There's probably not a person in the world that knows me better than she knows me, but she doesn't know me like Jesus knows me. And she loves me in her blissful ignorance. (laughs) And Jesus loves me in his full knowledge. That's humbling to me. I can't out-sin him. I can't out-stupid him. I am loved by this great God. And Jesus' love changes everything about me, and I'll wrap this up real quick. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. That's John three seventeen. You see, I escaped being judged because of Jesus. Our greatest fear is being exposed. If someone really knew what I was like, they wouldn't love me. They would reject me. If they really knew what I was really like, if they knew what I thought, what I felt, what I struggled with. And Jesus is saying, I love you. And I want to live you free from the fear of being exposed. I want you to live in the, fe- in the, the freedom of being known. And that means because I live from the fear of being judged and being exposed, then I could join Jesus in his redemptive purpose to literally be the hope of the world. To literally be the hope of the world. That I can live for something bigger than college football or making money or my grandkids or my retirement plan. I can live all for Jesus. A couple of months ago, I did an exercise with our staff. And uh, over the next two Sunday nights, we're going to do the game plan. And uh, you're going to get to see what we've been working on. I've never done this before with a congregation. Uh, but I figured... Well, first of all, you're Texans, and second of all, you're Wimberley, and you don't like anything to sneak up on you, so I'm just going to show you everything, all right? So tonight and the next Sunday, we're going to have a great time together of talking about where God's taking us. But I challenged our staff. I said, I'm going to give you a phrase, and I want you to write something down. We see a day when. And ask them to dream. We see a day when. 
you're going to be amazed at their answers. One of them said, we see a day when everyone tithes. That's a big vision. One of them wrote down, we see a day when human trafficking and slavery are ended. We see a day when everyone is connected in a group. The list is long, and I want you to see what they're dreaming, and I want you to dream with us. Because without vision, the people perish. Actually, without vision, it says literally, this is the passage, literally, without vision, the people cast off restraint, and they run amok. But with vision, we bring into unity with God and with each other. So I invite you to come, and we see a day when, and that we be driven by our great God to accomplish his great vision for in and through us. Hmm. I can live all for Jesus because I am loved. I can live all for Jesus, and I'm free to love others. Because of this love, I could be the hope of the world. Our, our state has been ravished by Hurricane Harvey. The last two weeks, a team of us have gone down into Victoria and we've seen what I call the forgotten coast. Um, Scott, he's here someplace. The uh, great Scott, not not pastor disaster. Great Scott, he's here someplace. Not that one, the other one. He's here someplace anyway. There he is. He woke up. There he is over there. He was in Rockport, and Rockport's been flattened, right, brother? And it's going to be forgotten. Well, we're not going to forget. Through the graciousness of one of our church members, we've been provided a house in Victoria, and we'll be staging teams from Victoria. We've already had two churches, one from California and one from the other side of the country, Maryland, are sending teams in, and one from Arizona are sending teams in that we'll deplore from that, uh, de deploy from that house in Victoria. We're setting it up. Here's the problem. We ain't got no money. Now, we've had one church call and said, we're going to give $10,000. We got a little money. But I know Wimberley. And I know your generosity. And so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna give during this series to fund the movement for disaster. Now, I'm going to be real honest with you, okay? I'm going to put my consulting hat on just for a second. Our boardwalks are the boardwalk of death out there. We need to fix them. Our foyer is too small. Y'all, it's like we threw deer corn out and every deer in the pack is there in, on Sundays. It's too small. Our plan was to expand that foyer and fix those boardwalks. But I want to tell you something. Disaster trumps our convenience. And so our generosity is not going to be about us. It's going to be about them. Florida is about to get buzzed. And... Are we going to be people of rescue or people of comfort? Now, some of y'all saying, well, pastor, I'm too old. If you die while we're there, we will haul your body back, we promise. Okay? Is that a deal? Right. And you might as well die pulling nails or ripping out sheetrock than sitting in your recliner watching college football. No, seriously. Seriously. 
You will not die to live, but live to declare what God's done. We're going to turn our attention because we are the hope of the world through the power of Jesus Christ because we are loved. And Jesus' love changes everything. Now, as a leader, man, this is risky because I'm thinking, man, we got to take care of this place. That conversation lasted about a tenth of a second. I said, no. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I told a little church plant in 1992 that had 17 adults and their children, 39 total. I said, if we will focus on Jesus, he will take care of us. And that church grew to be a regional church of thousands because we never focused on what we needed. We focused on the kingdom of God and God added to their number daily those that were being saved. And this great church with 133-year history turns its focus to the kingdom of God. We'll experience the blessings of God and the power of God with the people of God. All for Jesus. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Hmm. So here's some things I want you to do during this seven weeks. First thing, accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Come to Jesus and live. Give your heart to Christ. It's not about being a member of a church it's about being a part of the family of God, and that happens when you're born into that family. And celebrate life change. As we, we hear stories of people coming to Christ, and I've heard stories, and, and we celebrate that. And we measure that, and we, we accept Jesus' love, and we accept Jesus' love for everybody. And, and join in in this series. Don't miss it. Step up and lead a group. Get a group in the bag. You say, well, pastor, I don't know anybody but two people. Start a group. Start a group. Well, I have to just start it with my wife. She doesn't want to. Make her do it anyway. Start a group. <laughs> start a group. And take advantages of the resources. And read and pray and lead in. And, and uh, let the love of God transform you. Now, I want you to take your card. Pull out your card. Take your card. What are you going to write on it? Because Jesus loves me, I am free. I am loved. I'm no longer this. I'm now that. I'm forgiven. What, what are you going to write? And you could be as personal and intimate as you want to, but don't put your name on it. And then some of our tech whizzes are going to do something really cool with it, and, and you'll see it. And then we could celebrate the life change that Jesus Christ has done in all of us.